You're listening to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ 750 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. Good morning. Welcome to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ, 7.50 a.m. Father Greg Sakowitz, the rector of Holy Name Cathedral. The time is exactly 8.01 on this hot, hot Monday in July. They're talking very hot weather. Please, if you have a chance, stay indoors. The pandemic is far from over, but they're talking hot, humid weather. But it is July in Chicago. I hope you all had a wonderful July 4th weekend. It was certainly different. People still not gathering with families the way they used to. And um, we pray for those who have contracted COVID-19. We pray for loved ones who have gone home to God, who have died from COVID-19. Our phone number, 312-255-8408, 312-255-8408. Dr. Edward Gordon, back by popular demand, joins us for the entire hour for a wide-ranging discussion on the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Gordon is an internationally recognized historian, researcher, and author who has taught at DePaul University, Loyola, and Northwestern. He was a distinguished lecturer for the Organization of American Historians. Last fall, in celebration of the 75th anniversary of the D-Day landings, Ed was the historian for a 10-day tour of the Normandy beaches and other historic sites sponsored by the Palm Springs Air Museum. Dr. Edward Gordon, welcome to the program this morning. How are you, Edward? happy to say that I'm alive and well during this plague that is uh, covering the entire world at this point. And how is your lovely wife Elaine doing? Well, we both are fine. And I know you've spent most of your time indoors, very little time away uh, from your confines in Chicago. And, without uh, a mask, we, d- we don't spend any time without a mask when we go outside. Yeah, and now it's interesting... As you just said, your first couple of words, you talked about the, uh, you didn't call it, you called it a plague. Yes, I think that we've reached the state now where this is a national emergency. It may become an international emergency. Since 25% of the people infected and people who have died are within the 50 states of the United States. Now, now make that statement again. 25% of the world total of people who have become infected by COVID or who have died from COVID are citizens of the United States. Mm. And yet we represent only 4% of the world's population. Wow. Now, let's start out with some good news for all our listeners. Illinois and Chicago is one of the leaders in preventing this disease from killing us. In the last few days, seven days, the infection level, the number of people who are infected has grown by about 5%. Mm-hmm. We should be very proud of that. That is because many Chicagoans and Illinoisans are wearing masks, practicing social distancing, washing their hands, 
not visiting old people if they're younger. They're trying to prevent the spread of this deadly infection from killing people. And we should be very happy about that because across the U.S., 40 states now have seen tremendous increases in infection rates. Right now, Florida, Texas, South Carolina, Arizona, California, and several others, we've seen a five-time increase Mm. in infections over the last two weeks. Now, do you find, Edward, with uh, people having socialized more this holiday weekend in Chicago, in Illinois, are you expecting the numbers in our state to rise in the next two or three weeks? If those people did not have masks on and were six feet apart, I would suspect that's true. Now, remember this. This is a disease that can affect everyone. It was announced today, this morning, that Nick Cordero, a 41-year-old Broadway star, just died Mm -hmm. of this pandemic. I read that this morning. Yes. And he has a, a very young family. It's a tragedy. Younger people are dying from it. Mm-hmm. More importantly, even though the death rate among younger people is lower, they can pass this on easily to older people. Yeah. I'm going to ask you this question. Baseball is trying to launch. They're practicing right now. I think July 23rd, July 24th, they're going to try to begin playing baseball. Of course, no fans. The teams themselves will be distanced. Do you honestly believe baseball trying to launch is a good idea no right now we are seeing an increase of a hundred thousand cases per day that the uh well that's not quite true i I take that back we have warnings that we are approaching the possibility that we're going to see a hundred thousand new cases per day in the u.s in the u.s and we have to do everything within our power to prevent this from happening, all right? Mm -hmm. I mean, just think about this now. We have in the U.S. right now 2.8 million people are infected, and we have almost 130,000 deaths. And And that is a fact. That's a fact. In 2018, 36,000 people in the U.S. died from car accidents. Mm. COVID-19 is killing at the rate of four times that. And rising. And rising. Okay, now let me ask you another question. That is, because uh, you know, you're, you're an incredible historian. In 1918, 1919, the Spanish flu pandemic. Am I correct? That's right. Okay, now if baseball is trying to launch this year and they're having trouble doing it, and this might be a tough question, why was baseball played in 1918 and 1919, despite the Spanish flu that took huge numbers? Well, there was tremendous fixation on the First World War. That's when we were fighting World War I, okay. 1918. Mm-hmm. And uh, the president, Woodward Wilson, did not call a national emergency. Many states and cities uh, did not do very much to protect their citizens. So we had a huge number of people dying. Mm. All right. Okay. And uh, we're seeing, was, this, was like, we're seeing this again. I mean, we, we have some people telling you that 
uh, you know, this isn't serious. Only 1% of the population may die from it. Uh, well, if we have 1% of the people dying who may be infected, and in 1918, that was 25%. Of the U.S. population was infected in 1918, 1919, 1920. It spread over several years. Mm -hmm. That was 85 million Americans. How many died in the uh, Spanish flu epidemic in the U.S., remember? Only 675,000 Americans. Wow. That's, and that was 1% of those infected. So wow. let's, let, let's, let's say today that 25% of Americans get infected with COVID-19. Mm -hmm. That'd be 2.1 million Americans infected. Infe no, would, would the number be, would how many Americans are U.S.? Right now, the United States has around 340 million people. And if you were to take one? 25%, no, 25% got infected mm -hmm. in 1918, 1919. So let's say we have 25% infected now. Mm -hmm. All right. uh, so that's over 2 million people. You're talking about some staggering numbers. Yes. So, uh, you know, if uh, a bar owner down in Lubbock, Texas said we should just let it run its course, in other words, right. herd immunity. Mm -hmm. All right? Well... To get herd immunity, you need, through vaccination or people getting it, 60% of the population needs uh, to have some resistance. That'd be, or, or have, that'd be 175 million Americans. Well, if you take 60% uh, of the people, let's just say for the sake of argument, that you take 60% of the people who are infected die. Mm -hmm. All right? That would be 5 Point one million Americans. I mean, we're talking about huge numbers of people that theoretically could die from this. And, you know, the city of Chicago has a population of about 2.7 million. If 25% were infected, so I'm going, I'm lowballing this mm -hmm. now, that's 68,000 Chicagoans within the city limits would get sick and 30,000 people would die. Now, in the actual Spanish flu, at that time, the city of Chicago had a, a much uh, smaller population, population. Uh -huh. right? It was about 756,000 people. 8,500 people died. That's 1%. Okay? Okay. Now we're much bigger, aren't we? Absolutely. Yeah. So now just uh, multiply. Right. So in the state of Illinois, with a population of 12.6 million, you'd have three, a little over three million people would get sick. And if only 1% died, and that's what some people are saying, well, it's only 1%, that's 31,600 people in Illinois would die from this. In one state? In one state. Now, those numbers are not acceptable. They're not acceptable to you or to me. Mm -hmm. As Catholics, we believe in a right to life. Mm -hmm. We are all in this together now. This is a war. This yeah. is a national emergency. If, you, if there was a war on that threatened the United States as in World War II, and we had a national draft, and people went to fight for their country, mm -hmm. it would unite the country. 
I'm saying to all your listeners today, I'm drafting all of you. This is a life and death plague. This can touch the lives of many people in your families and friends, whether they are Catholics or Jews or Protestants or atheists. There will be no discrimination here. I'm saying to you, we're all in this together, and we need to fight this with the tools that we have, which means what we're doing, what we are now, what Edward, we're advocating. Why yeah. are many people not taking now, that's a good question. seriously? Yeah, why are many people not taking it? Well, um, we don't have people saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Now, some governors said we, they, were not, they could not enforce masks because it was against the civil rights of Americans. Now some have reversed themselves because of the huge death rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, the president now says that, uh, he said on Fox Business, that he was all for masks and he would wear one himself if he were in a tight situation with people. Uh, well, I hope that he does at all of these uh, huge events where thousands of people are gathering together. Mm-hmm. Because we know that this is an airborne disease, and we know it's a killer. Mm-hmm. We know it can kill people in various age ranges. But for many, they feel that the... Uh, this is discriminatory, that they want a normal life. They do not want to be constrained as individuals, that their rights under the Constitution are being constrained. I mean, you saw people partying this past weekend in many states like nothing was going on. And we're going to take a break here on Catholic Chicago, our number 312-255-8408. If you have a question regarding the pandemic for Dr. Edward Gordon, 312-255-8408, WNDZ, 750 AM, Catholic Chicago, Father Greg Sackowitz. The time is 814. We'll be back in a moment. Again, do not touch that dial. to see how individuals, families, and communities have found ways to help one another throughout 2020. At Catholic Charities, we usually have 35 to 40 events a year where we gather and enjoy time together in support of important programs and services while raising critical funds that allow us to respond to the growing number of people who are in need of the most basic necessities in life. Many of our events are now virtual. If you would like to be a sponsor for one of these events, please call 312-948-6864. That's 312-948-6864. Also, visit us at catholiccharities.net slash events and follow us on social media too. We so look forward to when we can resume our events in person and reconnect with our friends and partners throughout Chicagoland. For now, please consider donating to Catholic Charities so our vital work can continue. Thousands of people in Chicago count on Catholic Charities every day. Please help us help them today. Learn more at catholiccharities.net. 
we invite you to watch Catholic Chicago this weekend, featuring a conversation with Cardinal Blaise Supich and video highlights from across the archdiocese. Here's host Todd Williamson. We'll talk with Cardinal Blaise Supich about the outreach efforts underway by the Catholic Church to help people in need during the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll show you how online masses have become a common way of worship, and we'll give you a sampling of how teachers and students in Catholic schools are being creative and productive during the health crisis. Watch Catholic Chicago Friday at 7 p.m. on Chicago Loop Cable, Channel 25, and Sunday afternoon at 3 on the Comcast Network, Channel 100. At the time is 8.17 in the morning. Father Greg Sack was with Dr. Edward Gordon, who's an historian. One of his many strengths he has is about the whole history area of pandemics. Uh, Edward, you were talking before the break. I'd ask the question, why are many people not taking the pandemic seriously? And you said because it's been very uneven regarding some responses. That's right. In other words, the official response has been mixed. Remember, at the beginning of this, we were told you didn't need to wear a mask. A lot of that was because they needed masks for healthcare people, and we had such a shortage because we had not provided for this epidemic to start. All right? That has shifted. Now, because we know more about this pandemic, this plague, uh, we realize that this is an airborne disease and that if you are within six feet of someone else, even outside, you can get this if you do not have a mask on and that person does not have a mask on. Now, let's delve down a little more into the psychology and the culture of Mm -hmm. this. In Asia, Asians have been wearing face masks for a long time to control different diseases, particularly the flu. In the West, it's harder, though. In Northern Europe, uh, they seem more resistant than in the Mediterranean countries. Now, here in the U.S., let's take a look at male and female behavior. A lot of men feel that they should reject masks because it is denigrating their masculinity, their power, all right? Mm -hmm. And they think it's shameful. It's not cool. It's a sign of weakness, a stigma. Uh, Just today, I was reading an article about how women are resisting because it smears their lipstick, uh, and they're getting their lips tattooed permanently so they can't smear their lipstick. And now how the cosmetic companies are preparing for a huge drop in lipstick sales because of the the masks. Uh, So there is a reluctance upon certain people to recognize how serious this situation is. And uh, at the same time, uh, there, as I said, there's this issue of civil rights. In an emergency, the needs of the country, the respect that I have for you, Greg, 
that you have for me, that I have to strangers as I go up and down the street, we have to uh, abide by these new rules in this national emergency. This reminds me of a joke that someone just sent to me. It's a cartoon. Oh, good. What is it? Well, it's a guy. He's leaning out of a car. He's screaming, I never use turn signals. It's nobody else's business where I'm going. <laughs> Who said that to me, Greg? Well, I, I, I think I was responsible for that. I think you were. <laughs> well, and that guy's face is pretty funny, too. Right. I have civil rights. Why should I stop at a red light? Why should I use turn signals? Why should I? The rules of the road for somebody else. Yeah. I pay taxes. I have a right to drive any way I, I, I feel like. Well, we supposedly obey the rules of the road. And what did I say when we started out? 36,000 Americans died in 2018 in car accidents. Now, why did they do that? Well, let's see. Some were drunk driving. Some didn't obey uh, and made a strange moves. Of course, none of us have experienced this when we're driving, people changing lanes, cutting in front of us. Uh, no one has, or, or going through a red light. Uh, no one does that. Of course they do. Well, is that wrong? Of course it's wrong. It's life-threatening. We understand that. Well, that's where we're at now. This is a life-threatening disease, and it threatens the roots. Now, Edward, when you say it's a life-threatening disease, many people will hear you and say, you know, it doesn't affect me. I really don't believe you. Well. Now, many would say, Edward, you're right on target, but it's not universal saying, boy, are you right? I'll give you an example. In World War II, when war broke out, we were at war, period. And no one said, we might be at war. I think we're at war. We're at war. There is no war. We were at war. With this whole pandemic, it's, it's the mixed messages, that's what's confusing people. Well, let's look at it this way. For the Spanish flu, we lost 675,000 Americans died. That's far more than died in World War One. True. Right now, we're looking at numbers that could be quite staggering in terms of death from this. This is not going to end anytime soon. We all know that. It's regrettable. This is not a political conspiracy, folks. And assigning blame as to, well, where did this break out? Who did this to us? Isn't going to help us any. We have to deal with this right now. We need to prevent it from happening again. Unfortunately, it probably will happen again. There will be other viruses coming along the line that are deadly like this, too, for which we will have to be prepared. Now, when I had you back on the program back in late March, when this whole thing had just started, when we were told, stay at home till April 7th, and I believed it. When it first happened, like around March 15th until April 7th, I thought, well, we'll still save Holy Week at the cathedral. Man, was I wrong. But the whole thing is, when it started back in March, you said, Greg, look out for the fall in November. Well, remember, a lot of people said, look, once it gets to warm weather, it'll be like the flu virus. Yes. And it'll, it'll peter out. Well, look at Arizona right now. Look at Texas, Florida. Florida. It's very hot down there. Whether it's dry heat in Arizona 
or warm, moist heat in Florida, they're dying or they're becoming infected. Two weeks from now, you're going to see a huge spike in the number of deaths in those states as that virus now, a spreads. Few, a few friends of mine have said, you know, Greg, the numbers have gone up because they're testing more, they're getting more results, so it's positive, but not as many people are dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what's happening now in the testing is, in the testing, we're seeing a much higher percentage of those tested with the disease. Mm-hmm. That shows you how it is spreading. And as those test rates spread, we're going to see between the 18 to 49-year-olds that getting back to the older part of the population. All right? Mm -hmm. But we also are seeing people even in that age rate dying. And one of the reasons for that is when you have a hot spot, You saw this in New York. You're now going to see this in Florida, Texas, Arizona, parts of California. The hospitals become overwhelmed. People go there to the emergency room. The intensive care units are full. People are out in corridors. They don't have enough doctors, nurses, staff, testing. What happens? Are they going to have to start picking and choosing who stays and who doesn't? That's what they did in New York. They'll even be picking who they are working, who they can care for within the hospital itself. How many, how many in people in intensive care can one nurse see and take care of? Right. A limited number. I volunteered at a local hospital here in intensive care before this plague started. And they have a, a very large staff of specially trained nurses for those units. But when you're flooded with people who are gasping for breath, whether they're 40 years old or they're 70 years old, they can only take care of so many at once and monitor them. People will die. So I think two things that hit me is number one is, for example, our engineer today, Brian Hockey, Hitman Brock, could be COVID-19 positive, asymptomatic, feel terrific, and get me very sick and not even know it. That's right. And that's what really scares me is that it's not that we get sick automatically, is that many people, two members of the Chicago White Sox in the news today tested positive for COVID-19, right. asymptomatic, they're not revealing their names, but now two guys in the White Sox have it and others will get it. Now, when people tell me that 31 ball players of major leagues have contracted COVID-19, 1.2%. You know, what's 1.2%? My response is, those numbers are going to begin to go up. Right. And if we don't control the number of people who are sick, sooner or later, even the ones who are doing well are going to get sick and die, potentially. Yeah. Uh, remember, this is a new virus. We are learning how it affects people's lungs and other parts of their bodies. This is not an illness that we have a long record of information on. Now, we are testing a lot of potential vaccines, and we pray to God that several of them will work and will come online. I just, so far, they, I was they just have not found it. Not, uh, well, they're being tested. And the reason they're being tested is 
you have to have a, a large enough test group running several different trials mm -hmm. of the vaccine to make sure you're not producing something that's toxic right. to certain people. Yeah. I just took a look today at a new survey of 50 healthcare executives that has been issued. What are your expectations that a vaccine will be available to all in the United States? Well, the first quarter of 2021, 22%. Later in 2021, 40%. 2022, 36%. Mm -hmm. No, there will never be a vaccine, 2%. We have to have, ultimately, some form of herd immunity. Mm -hmm. That means the people who actually get sick and the people who are vaccinated. Once we reach that level, you will see the virus the numbers will start to Edward, fall. based on right. what you just said, that might be at least another year away. Could be. Okay, we need to go to a break here on Catholic Chicago WNDZ. The time is 829 on this hot July day here in Chicago. 312-255-8408. We're speaking with Dr. Edward Gordon about the pandemic. I'm Father Greg Sackowitz. Stay with us. We'll be back after these messages. And again, do not touch that dial. Ford once said, a business that makes nothing but money is a poor business. At Catholic Charities, we are deeply grateful to our corporate partners who agree with Henry Ford. Some of our corporate partners make a financial commitment each year to the work of Catholic Charities. Other partners donate or offer reduced prices on goods and services that help our clients find stability in their lives. Still other corporate leaders gather their employees and regularly volunteer at our food pantries and our suppers for the homeless. For over a century, support from businesses large and small has been vital to our efforts to strengthen the lives of individuals and communities, one person, one family at a time. If you'd like to join us in our mission, please call 312-948-6864. That's 312-948-6864. Thank you. Catholic Charities has had the privilege of helping people in need in Cook and Lake County for more than 100 years. We have been ready through many historic moments and we continue to respond with competence and compassion during these unprecedented times. We would like to take this opportunity to thank our frontline workers who, despite the risks, excel at their jobs every day. From the warehouse staff members who pack boxes of nutritious foods for low-income seniors, to the dedicated WIC employees who remain open for families with children under the age of five, to our volunteers and restaurant partners who ensure that to-go meals continue for the homeless, to our home care aides, service coordinators, and trained counselors who continue their work in the most innovative ways, to our food pantry staff, and to all those who work at Catholic Charities Call Center, finding solutions for every person who reaches out to us for help. Charity is at the heart of all you do, and we salute you. Listening to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ 750 AM. Every Monday through Friday from 8 AM to 9 AM, the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, 
Catholic Chicago. Chicago on WNDZ, 7.50 a.m. Father Greg Sackowitz, along with Dr. Edward Gordon. The time is 8.32 on this hot Monday morning in Chicago. If you want to make a phone call to us, question for Dr. Gordon, 312-255-8408, 312-255-8408. Edward, I've been reading the last few days, you talk about an an illness, a virus that is so unknown. They're still trying to figure out the cure rate on this because some people recover quickly. There's a couple of people I read about in the uh, uh, papers this weekend. For now two months, they've been recovering and still have severe headaches, blurred vision, fatigue to the hilt. And so doctors are baffled about the cure rate for the coronavirus. It's very uneven. That's correct. And that's one reason why trying to come up with a vaccine is difficult, because we don't know enough about this virus other than it is deadly, and it has impact across the map. As I said uh, not too long ago this morning, this Nick Cordero died. He was 41. He did not, from what I know, and I could stand corrected if I'm wrong, he didn't have, he wasn't overweight, he didn't have other health problems, but he died from this. Mm -hmm. Why? We don't know. We don't know why that 40, that's going against the statistics that we know, all right? But, you know, right now the virus is taking advantage of our natural human urge to be around other people. I mean, look. I miss going to Mass at Holy Name Cathedral on Sunday. And I know, Father, that you miss not being able to greet the people that are your friends and strangers at Holy Name in the way you always have. Mm -hmm. But until this is suppressed or a vaccine appears, we're not going to have a new normal. Now, restaurants are starting to reopen. And my wife and I went to a restaurant for the first time since March, a week ago. This was a modern restaurant. It had a tremendous ventilation system. There were very few people there. The tables were widely spaced, and that ventilation system was turning on and off all the time. Well, we know from research and talking to engineers that we need an indoor room to be pumped full of outside air as close to 100% as possible. Because if we don't, for safety purposes, that stagnant air could infect you with the COVID virus. That's a fact. That's not a fantasy. Which means what you're saying is the the last place you'd want to be right now is is get on an airplane. Well, they have airplane filters. Mm -hmm. And discussing that with uh, doctors, they have said that 
it's not so much the air in the airplane because that is recycled all the time now because the airlines are desperate to get people and they have filters and they're trying to recycle outside air. It's the potential of people next to you. If they're not far enough apart, let's say they fill all those middle seats, coughing and sneezing on you, and they don't have a mask on. I think some airlines are doing well with spacing. I know other airlines, there's particular flights coming from particular cities, the planes have been packed with standby. Well, Lufthansa now, when you go to the airport, they're testing every passenger that's going to get on that plane. They take your temperature? No, they're testing you for COVID. They're using a test so that you have to take this an hour or so before the flight leaves so that they can determine whether or not you test positive Do they get the COVID. results back that fast? That's what they're they're forcing people to come to the airport a few hours earlier oh, to get tested. Wow, that's, is I, that I like is that. that a way to safeguard people on an airplane? Yes. Yeah. Should we mandate that? Well, you want to you do you want to control this virus or not? Is that going to raise airfares? Yes, it will because there are going to be fewer people. But you know, we got to balance this desire for a normal life with the imperatives of public health. And this is a near unprecedented, delicate, very delicate balancing act for all of us. But we have to be start to be honest and candid with our citizens. Well, here's the other thing is, you talked earlier in the program, many people are taking this seriously, many people are not. Among some college students, they now have bets going on they get someone with COVID-19 to be in their group. They put money in a pool or a pot. And the first one to contract COVID-19, the person who gets it or who has it, wins the money in the pot. Well, look, if we don't have a, fir- uh, a fierce sense of belonging to each other, you're not going to sacrifice for the common good. Mm-hmm. And when you're confronted with a succession of wicked problems, and it turns out, that we're not even capable of putting on a mask to protect other people. This is a pervasive loss of national faith and of community collaboration and community spirit in our country. Either we rise to this as Americans and sacrifice some of our personal needs, we act like selfish people, and we allow people to die who won't have to die. Mm-hmm. That is the choice. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the Catholic radio program. And as Catholics, we have a commitment to respect life, not just preventing abortion. What is this doing? Mm-hmm. This is a responsibility that we all have, whether we are Christians, we are Jews. We are Buddhists, we are Muslims, we have a responsibility. And for those who are atheists that are listening to me, they too have a responsibility if they believe that the United States, which was founded on the principle that citizens in their communities, through civic activism, could solve their problems and vote people into office who would collaborate and work on their problems, not for the elitists, not for the rich, but for everyone. 
Mm-hmm. That's, that's the concept upon which America was founded. Now, taking some of the concept you've said, now let's flip the angle a little bit and talk about the whole effect of COVID-19 having the overall U.S. economy. I'm glad you asked me that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's one, I know it's one of the areas you've worked oh, on your yeah. whole life, too. Right, right. You know, most of my work is in labor economics. Mm-hmm. I, I want to explain this to your listeners. I'm a historian. I'm a historic economist. And as a social scientist, I'm broadly trained to do research and look at the impact of various issues throughout history on our society. And one of them is work. My latest book is Future Jobs, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to solve the skills and jobs crisis. If someone wants to get a copy of the book Future Works, how can they get it? You can get it on Amazon. Future, Future it's it's future jobs actually. Future right. jobs. Future so Dr. Jobs. Edward Gordon. Right. Future jobs, and can get it through Amazon. Right. Okay. Good. Now, right so now, what's the we, effect on the economy? Then, well, what's the effect? Well, right now we have 17.8 million people who are unemployed. These mainly are these are people who have been laid off, hopefully temporarily from their jobs. The un- unemployment rate officially is 11.1 percent. Now, it is probably far higher than that. One of the things that has been occurring, let's go now to the end of last year, December of 2019. We had a large number of jobs, about over, according to our estimates, over 10 million jobs who were, that were unfilled, vacant across the U.S. The reason they were vacant is we don't have people with the right general education and special career skills to fill those jobs. And they were across a wide variety of uh, business sectors. Many of them were higher-level thinking jobs that required reading at a uh, comprehension at 12th grade or above and some sort of post-secondary credential, a certificate, apprenticeship, two-year degree, four-year degree, etc. We didn't have them. We were importing workers from other countries to fill those jobs. We were moving production to Germany, Scotland, South Korea, Japan, other well-educated countries to make products for us. Now the pandemic came. What has occurred is industry, we're in a fourth industrial revolution because of computerization. Everyone knows about that, and they've profited from it as computers have become more and more powerful. Because of this pandemic, companies now are investing even more in automation, using more computers, more robots. What does that mean? It means a lot of low-skill jobs are going to be eliminated. We've already seen many of them go. We're going to see more of them go. But we are creating more higher-skilled jobs. The difficulty is a lot of businesses can't get those workers. They can't recruit the people they need, particularly small businesses. One estimate right now is that we're going to see 20% of small businesses by the time this is all over, go out of business. Hmm. And one of the reasons why is that as things start coming back online, 
some of the key personnel that they need will be hired away from the small businesses to larger businesses. Now, look, many smaller businesses and even bigger businesses that well-known companies, airlines, car rental companies, retailers, right now are facing bankruptcy because people aren't buying their goods or using their services. But once the pandemic ends, and it will end, folks, what will happen? The the economy will gradually regenerate itself. But where will the workers go to? Well, they will go to the people who pay the most and offer them the best secure opportunities. Because we have a shortage of what I call a knowledge worker, a lot of small businesses that rely on those will go out of business. I'll give you one example. Manufacturing in the U.S. today produces more value in terms of a greater volume of goods with fewer workers than ever before in the history of the United States. Hmm. Even though the numbers of people in steel mills now are much less because of computerization, automation, robotics, etc. This is true in the auto industry. It's true in many uh, industrial and manufacturing. And it's also true in uh, many other service sectors, even healthcare, robotic surgery, uh, more computerization, so that fewer people can do the job. But who is inventing these products and services? Who's manufacturing these products? Who is repairing these products? Who is managing them? the use of these products, all right? Who's selling them, all right? And what's the answer? The answer is we will create more jobs as this decade goes by if we have the workers that can do it. Now, on that note, we need to take a break. I want to ask more about this area of the economy. You're listening to uh, Catholic Chicago on WNDZ, 750 AM, 312-255-8408. Father Greg Sackowitz, the rector of the cathedral. Our guest, Dr. Edward Gordon, speaking about the pandemic on different levels. Again, stay with us. Do not touch that dial. We'll be back after these messages. nothing like having a friend to talk to when things are not going well. And in these challenging days, everyone has had moments when they are discouraged, sad, or worried. Catholic Charities wants you to know that we are here. If you or someone you know would like to share your concerns with a professional, call 312-948-6951 anytime, day or night, and you will be connected with an experienced counselor who will listen without judgment and offer compassionate, confidential advice that you can trust. That phone number again is 312-948-6951. Before, during, and after COVID-19, Catholic Charities is here for you. It has been inspiring to see how individuals, families, and communities have found ways to help one another throughout 2020. At Catholic Charities, we usually have 35 to 40 events a year where we gather and enjoy time together in support of important programs and services while raising critical funds that allow us to respond to the growing number of people who are in need of the most basic necessities in life. 
Many of our events are now virtual. If you would like to be a sponsor for one of these events, please call 312-948-6864. That's 312-948-6864. Also, visit us at catholiccharities.net slash events and follow us on social media too. We so look forward to when we can resume our events in person and reconnect with our friends and partners throughout Chicagoland. For now, please consider donating to Catholic Charities so our vital work can continue. Thousands of people in Chicago count on Catholic Charities every day. Please help us help them today. Learn more at catholiccharities.net. Back to uh, Catholic Chicago on WNDZ 750-312-255-8408. The time is 8.49 in this uh, very hot, humid Monday in July in Chicago. Our guest is Dr. Edward Gordon. And Edward, continue the discussion uh, from the economic perspective. Well, just to show you the pressure that this is putting on the economy, one of the top, the big four CPA firms has just announced that they are going to reopen their corporate university and provide a free MBA to anyone that works for their company. A free MBA? A free MBA. And the reason they're doing that is they can't find the people with the necessary skills and education to do the job. Now, in the 1990s, many, many businesses across America opened what they called a corporate university. And they were providing supervisory training. They were providing uh, team building, listening skills, how to get up and uh, how to write a good letter, how to get up and, and give a presentation before a group. Many different areas that they thought were essential for their workers that provided increased performance and therefore better productivity and more profit for the company. That started to peter out in the mid-90s. Right now, we have large numbers of Americans who are out of work because of COVID. Before COVID, we even had a large number who had given up looking, who had college degrees, who were apprenticed, who had good uh, technical skills and certificates. But no, but no one would hire them because they don't do job training, and they didn't have a precise match to a mm -hmm. job, and therefore no one would hire them. Right now, you know, we have a large number of Americans who have retired, and we'll put that number at around uh, 60 million Americans who are retirees. We got 50 million more people, folks, that are going to retire in this decade. All right? Now, some of them don't want to quit working. I'm, I could retire. Hey, Greg, you could retire. And we're not retiring. We're very no. busy. I'm busier than ever right now. I know you are. Likewise. Right. So you have, then you have uh, people who have given up looking because they're discouraged. They don't want a job. Let me ask you this question, Edward, and that is just take one area, restaurants. 
with the COVID-19 yes. and with the shutdown, I had restaurant owners who own smaller restaurants say, Greg, I can't be closed for too long. Right. So now they do reopen at 25% capacity. The question is, what would be your guesstimate for the number of restaurants that will shut down forever? Different surveys that I've seen estimate that maybe a third of restaurants will disappear. Mm. Maybe a third. I mean, that, 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 Edward, that's a lot of restaurants to uh, close their doors forever. It is. It is. When you consider what we're up against, remember, again, how many airlines right now are basically bankrupt? How many car rental companies are almost bankrupt? I heard that some of those are going under for good, like uh, Hertz or Avis. Or Maybe. The possibility. Maybe. Because, you know, and also, you know, who's renting cars? Very few. Who's flying? And I, always the question is, how much longer can the economy sustain this? Well, I think that the government will have to do more to help the economy sustain this. Like they, doing what? Uh, well, they already passed uh, several emergency packages to help businesses. They're probably mm -hmm. going to have to do more. Why? Because if they don't, you're going to have a huge number of companies shut down permanently. But now, and, this is not just a U.S. problem. No, this is a worldwide this is a problem. worldwide problem. But remember, in other countries, people are practicing social distancing and fewer people are dying. And many of those governments are putting more money into small businesses, et cetera, so that they and larger businesses, so they, they, they don't go out of business. Now, what that will do in the long term is create a huge amount of debt that will mm -hmm. have to be paid off. The only way in which that debt will be paid off, and listen to me very carefully now, is if when we reopen the economy, productivity goes up, the economy grows, because we have real growth. That's, and, and the real growth generates more tax dollars, more employment, etc., etc., etc. If we do not have a workforce that's well-educated and well-trained for this fourth industrial revolution that's sweeping the whole world, we won't see that. Did we have real growth in 2019? Um, we had mergers and acquisitions. We had inflation. We saw some of the larger tech companies grow, but a large part of it was through merger and acquisition. And a large part of the growth in stocks was stocks being bought back by the companies that issued them in order to keep the price up. Mm -hmm. So the amount of real growth that occurred was a lot less than you would than was advertised. In the last few minutes, Edward, I need to ask this question: As we move forward with COVID nineteen, here we are in early July twenty twenty. What is your greatest fear right now? Well, right now we must be going all out to bring the COVID surge under control. Infections and hospitalizations are soaring. If we, as individuals, don't act, we can expect more people will die. The next four months are going to be a very, very ugly unless we realize that we're all in this together as one nation, as one people, and we need to respect the life 
of everyone around us. Well, now, Edward, if the next four months could possibly get ugly, then what are your thoughts starting around November when the flu season kicks in and the weather gets colder? Does it become even uglier? Well, people uh, can still get flu shots, can't they? And okay. uh, I got them last year. In fact, in some cases, you had to get two shots. Right. And they're even, uh, they're even speculating for the COVID virus that for older people, they may have to get a booster shot to make it effective. Mm-hmm. All right. But, again, we all are in this together. We're all going to have to sacrifice something. It's not a question that some people won't have to sacrifice anything. This is a war. This is a battle for life. And it's universal. Now, with that thought, you've written for us a one-minute final statement. What is it? My one-minute final statement, if I can find it now. I just buried it. Pardon me. I'm sorry, Greg. With something that I gave you I, such here a tremendous it is, here it is. All right. Abraham Lincoln, right before his assassination, said this. What has happened in this civil war will reoccur. Human nature does not change. In any great nation's trial, we have people who are weak, or are strong, who are silly and are wise, who are good and are bad. We must study this conflict's incidents to learn wisdom from this, and not as just the wrongs to be avenged, but to take better action in our future crises. Well, that crisis is now. Let's learn from our past. Let's take that action. Let's take the self-sacrifice that our parents and grandparents did during the Great Depression and during the Second World War to win that war. This is our war. And it's being fought right now in our neighborhood and community and in every state. I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud that my freedom is guaranteed by the Constitution. But I'm also willing to sacrifice some of my personal ability to do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it, for the greater good of those around me. I say this as a Catholic. I say this as a Chicagoan and an Illinoisan and a citizen of the United States. We should be the example for the world to show them how it's done. On that note, I need to bring this to a close. I want to thank in a very special way. That was a great closing statement. Dr. Edward Gordon, Edward, you'll be back on again. Please give my love to your wonderful wife, Elaine, to a great work of our producer, Jim Dish, of our excellent engineer, Brian Hockey, Hitman Brock, to all. God bless. We're in this together. Stay healthy. Have a great week. Thank you, Greg. Join us every Monday through Friday at this time for Catholic Chicago. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.